Hey, thanks for tuning in to Hillside Juniata Sermons Podcast, where our goal is to make committed followers of Jesus. We want to encourage you that if you're not already connected to a local church, that you'll find a place where you can connect, grow, serve, and go. But wherever you are today, we hope and pray that God will use this sermon for His glory and our greatest good. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, We've been talking about guardrails. Uh, how necessary do we need guardrails in our life and when things are just going crazy? And um, we're going to be in something very specific. So if you haven't had a bulletin, uh, there should be some out in the front. But we're going to be taking notes today. And we're going to be talking about a sensitive subject. So parents, here we go. We're going to talk about something. If you even read the first line, I see there are, there are students among us. So get ready, guys. We're going we're gonna to go there. Uh, but before we get into the, the matter today, uh, I want to share with you a story that I think paints where we're at in culture today. So my family has a camp called Camp Malibu. I don't know where it is exactly. It's north? Brookville. Okay. So we would retreat up here. And, and I was from a big family. So we have tons of cousins, aunts and uncles. And we were all up in this, this cabin and one of the nights that all of us cousins went out and, and some of the aunts and uncles and we decided to go make a fire in the woods. Now, I was probably 10, 8, 9, 10 at the time, so I was already terrified of the dark. So I'm walking in the woods and it's pitch black in the middle of nowhere and I just feel like something's lurking, something's hunting me, you know, and I'm just like, every, I would look in the woods and just like picture things in my head and I'm already terrified. And we get deep in the woods and our goal was to make a fire And I kid you not, I still hear this and it makes me shrill in my head. From the cabin, my Aunt Jill screams like I've never heard her scream before. She goes, Stace, get the kids! And it echoes through the woods. So we were out there with Aunt Stacey and all of us were like, so immediately you you can imagine our response is just absolute panic. All right, so we just all start running every and every. We're running into each other. Sandals are flying off. We're just like running for our lives all the way back. And I just, I remember, I was just like, we thought we were dead. We were all dead. We were so far deep. And she's just, it was crazy. I couldn't even see everything. It was absolutely nuts. So gladly, obviously, I'm here. So nobody died. There were bruises, lost shoes. We got back and we were all safe. But I think that is an incredible picture of kind of where we are in terms of our society when it comes to sexuality. So we very much today, we are in the woods, right? We are in the woods surrounded by darkness. And I think that today I want to share with you that God sounds an alarm a lot like my Aunt Jill. Where he's screaming to us and we're going to see through his word in 1 Corinthians today that he is lovingly screaming and calling us, Stace, get the kids! We are running back. We are in the woods of the world. Darkness and danger is all around us. And lurking in the darkness is a very real threat. And it's, it's, it's about sexuality. And it's coming for us, and I think specifically it's coming for our kids. And we see that. And we need to run as fast as as we possibly can to safety because we don't want to face the mama bear of sin and so be mauled and devoured. And I think we need to see that this sexuality, this immorality, sexual immorality, we need to view it a lot like a mama bear that's ready to to destroy us and it's lurking in the woods. So today we want to address the very important guardrail of 
surrounding your sexuality. I think we all understand sex has absolutely inundated our culture. It's everywhere. I want to share some disturbing data. So last year on television, this is on public television, there are 15 counts of sexual content, nudity, or immodesty reported every hour on TV. Every hour. Our kids are not safe. We are not safe. On the internet, 2.5 billion emails contain pornographic images, and they're sent. One pornographic website uploads 15 terabytes of video every day. That's 450 hours of video every day. In our music, 40% of top Billboard songs are explicit sexually. It is everywhere. We are in the middle of the woods, and it is all around us. It has absolutely inundated our culture. In our media, movies, and music, there's this push toward jumping over these sexual guardrails. In this area, more than any other, is where our culture desires to push us beyond, into the darkness, get lost in the woods, and so be devoured, and they're doing a really good job. And I want to call us by God's word in 1 Corinthians today. Could you imagine the change that would happen if our culture was willing to install some sexual guardrails? The advice that Paul's going to give us today to the city of Corinth in the first century is our main point for today. So if you're taking notes, it's very simply flee from sexual sin. Flee. And this advice is the same example given to us by Joseph. If you know that story, when Potiphar's wife grabbed a hold of his robe, it was right there. What did he do? He ran. Robe's gone. He just, I'm out of here. I'm going to run. And when you come across sexual temptation in your life, when it grabs a hold of your robe, when it's right there, the call for us is to run. Flee from sexual sin. So our memory verse today, we're going to read this together. This is going to encapsulate where we are. Let's read this and hide this in our hearts. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Let's read it together. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, more than ever in our lifetime, do we need to be watching over our heart. Students, now you need to be guarding your heart. It is not good to leave your heart out there for anyone and everyone to have their way. Watch over your heart with diligence. Guard it. For from it flows the spring of life. And by inverse of that, also you can experience incredible death when you pass over this guardrail. Watch over your heart. It goes for us as adults as well. As a result, if we do this, we will have guardrails. So turn with me. We're going to dive right into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, if it's in the pew, uh, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, the pew Bibles is page 1029. 1029, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at three verses. Now, I want to give you some context as you're turning there. 1 Corinthians, oh my goodness. The, the city of Corinth, let's just paint the picture here for what it was. And I think we're going to go, wow, that, I, I can see there's a little bit of a connection here. So he was writing to the city of Corinth, and it was a large, metropolis, big city. It was a hub. So a lot of people, a lot of different backgrounds, and it was extremely diverse. And with that diversity brought a diversity of religions, and in this city, specifically, temples. That's important. There were at least 12 known temples. Maybe they weren't all there at the time that Paul was writing this letter to them. But for sure, there was a temple, and and this pertains to our text today. There was a temple to the goddess 
Aphrodite, the Greek goddess Aphrodite. And here's who she was. She was an Olympian goddess of love, sex, and procreation. So the worship of Aphrodite fostered, this is crazy, prostitution in the name of religion. So in this temple, at one time, there were actually a thousand prostitutes who worshipped through giving their body in that way. Could you imagine? They were, they were considered sacred in this city. In fact, this blew my mind. Immorality of Corinth was so bad that it actually became a slang term. So to Corinthianize was equivalent to perform sexual immorality. That's how bad the city was. I look at America and I'm like, to Americanize sounds a whole lot like that. It's to participate in this sexual immorality, this jumping over the line, this flirting with the edge. So I I think that we can see here that we can understand a little bit. Because you don't have to look far to see a push for sexual immorality. And the believers that Paul wrote to, they were surrounded and they were infiltrated by sexual immorality. So what happens is, and I love this about God, he doesn't just kind of, we're not going to talk about that. In 1 Corinthians, knowing this is a big deal, he, heads, he, he takes the, the topic and the problem and he tackles it head on. So we're going to do that today. His advice to the believers in Corinth, flee from sexual sin. So let's begin in verse 18. We're going to look at these two words. And the first call we're going to see, we're going to see here the command to flee sexual sin. Let's read verse 18. Very easily, two words, flee immorality. So I want to talk about these two words. Okay, so that word flee. It's kind of cool. It's, it's the word fugo, right? And I, I thought we could do a play on words like fugo. Fugo, I go. You know, or we're going to run, we're going to flee, you know, and we want to go where few go. Sorry, that was my brain. I gave it to you. I apologize. But few go, and what that word is, it's to run away, but it's specifically highlighting to run away from danger. So God here, through Paul to Corinth, to us, is revealing to us sexual immorality is a danger. It's not a game. It's not something to play with. It's not just this thing that doesn't matter. It is a serious danger. And we need to reorient our mind to see it as the danger that it is. And we see that with the word flee. We're called to escape the danger. And you can see here that this is emphasis. This is a really a heart cry from Paul to us with great love. Just like my Aunt Grill. Aunt Grill. Aunt Jill. Sorry. This is a call to say flee. Run. Get the kids. Get out of here. This is fleeing. And notice what does he not say here? When it comes to sexuality, immorality, he doesn't say here, resist. He doesn't say, battle. He says, get out of there. Like, that's the wisdom. We're talking through this whole series of guardrails. What is the wise thing to do? Should we pray? Absolutely. Should we battle? Absolutely. Should we resist? Absolutely. But the wise thing is to run. Tail it out of there. Don't even entertain it. Flee. And the word here that we're running away from is immorality. Now, this is fascinating. That word immorality is actually the word porneia. So it's the root word where we get the word pornography. And in the Greek, it's a a word that meant any sexual activity outside the boundaries of biblical marriage. Sorry, students, if you're getting uncomfortable. We're going there today because it matters. But it, this word porneia, it's actually from the word pornos, which is derived from perneo. And here's the definition of that. It means to sell off. To sell off. So what he's saying here, what he's really saying is, 
the word immorality means a surrendering or a selling off of sexual purity. And we're going to get to why that's such a big deal in the following verses. But here the command is also written in the Greek present tense, which means it's ongoing. We are to continually flee. Keep fleeing until the danger has passed. Keep running. I just felt like running. We're going to run away, flee from sin. And the reason that Paul wrote this command to the believers in Corinth is because their culture, like ours, was enticing people to flirt with, not to flee from sexual immorality. This is not something to mess around with. This is dangerous. Flee from the danger of selling off your sexual purity. So I want to pause. Maybe you've asked, maybe you're, you've asked the question before like I once did, and maybe you're asking the question right now, and you're like, yeah, but where's the edge? How far is too far? Well, I want to, as an aside, I think when we find ourselves seeking biblical permission to participate in a sexual desire, it's problematic. When we find ourselves seeking permission, biblical permission to participate in an inward felt sexual desire, that's dangerous. That's problematic. And Jesus is so kind to establish where that line is. And I'm going to go straight to the line. The line begins at the heart level. He goes straight to lust. So wisdom here, you know yourself. You know, you know what draws you. You know where your heart is. And when looking at your heart, it is so easy, even in your mind and in your thoughts, to lust. So the line here is that even a lingering thought can cross the line. So what Jesus is saying here, he says, flee from the lust in your heart. So if you look, it can be a list of things. Is a kiss too far? Is a hug too far? Is it... It can be if there's lust in your heart. That's why we're, I'm not going to lay out here and go, this is the line. You know, this is everyone's line. The line is in your heart. You need to tackle and wrestle with the lust of your heart, which is why Proverbs 4.23 is our memory verse. Watch over your heart with all diligence. You have to consider that your heart is prone to wander, that your heart is deceitful among all things. Like It, it wants the flesh. And when you look, when you linger, when you entertain thoughts, you may be crossing over a line, whether you're in the presence of or not. So we have to be a people who watch over our heart. Paul immediately puts sexual sin here in a category all of its own. And here's the reason. That's the next point here we're going to see. What's the reason to flee sexual immorality? What's the reason? You know, you may be thinking, well, like, if we're honest, is it really that big of a deal? People cross that line all the time in our culture. And we don't see anybody getting smited. We, you know, we don't see this catastrophe. But if we're honest, God has something to say about this. And I think it goes unnoticed, but it is very real. And we keep reading and we see the reason for sexual sin. Let's keep reading in verse 18. So flee immorality. And here's the reason. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. That's unique. And here's, here's the thing, right? Paul doesn't say sexual sin is worse than. He doesn't categorize by severity. He categorizes by its unique consequence. So it's not, if you're sitting here, maybe you have crossed the line. Maybe you're sitting here going, oh, it's too bad. No, he's saying 
it's all, every sin is sin is sin is sin, and it's all forgivable, but what he's saying is the consequence of sexual sin is unique. Not that it's more sinful. It has a way of destroying a person like no other sin, because it's a sin against your own body. Solomon, probably the wisest man that ever lived, he knew this a thousand years before Paul even wrote this down. In Proverbs 6, verse 32, he said, the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He would destroy himself. He who would destroy himself does it. So Solomon, this wise man, he sees, if you want to destroy yourself, pass over the line of sexual immorality and you will experience destruction on a different level internally. But we need to be clear, and please hear me. Sexual sin can be forgiven just like every other sin. Absolutely, there's forgiveness, restoration, pardon. It doesn't say it's unforgivable, but the consequences of this sin are unlike any other area because it destroys you, destroys us from within. So let's keep reading in in verses 19 and 20, and here we're going to finish up with what's the motivation, like why? Because we need to know that answer. Paul makes the argument that our sexual matters are actually theological matters. They're spiritual matters. Have you ever made that connection? The world certainly doesn't. The world thinks it's just its its own thing, and, and it is what it is. But it is absolutely a theological, spiritual matter. And here's how we see him turn that corner. Verse 19, he says, Or do you not know, I'm just going to keep reading, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Verse 20, For you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So let's go back to the beginning of verse 19. Or do you not know? Paul's shifting here, and he's saying... This is extremely theological. And and he's talking to believers in the room, right, who are new to the faith, who are coming from a lifestyle maybe that has come into the church to say that prostitution was sacred, that this was okay, and they're coming into the church now and they're going, what what do you mean that's not okay? What is this? And he's saying... No, no, no. He's shifting it from reason and consequences to motive and significance because he needs us to see that this is a deeply theological matter. And he says, or do you not know, here's the theology, point number one, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God. Isn't that interesting? What was happening in Corinth? All kinds of temples all over the place. Temples where people would go to worship a God surrounding a specific thing. And that's where they went and they felt that the presence of God was and that they were good to go. But here's what Paul says. He says that if you are a believer, you are a temple. Do you know that? You yourself are a temple. That is deeply theological. When you surrender your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells and resides within you. That is extremely big when it comes to this concept of sexual morality because what happens is when we say yes to Jesus, when we surrender our life to him, you know what we're doing is we're signing over the title of our life. Of this residence, we're signing over the title. We're saying, you have authority, not me. He dwells within us. We become 
a temple. What that means for us is that we need to consider the significance and we need to live within ourselves as though we do not belong to ourselves. And that's painful for our culture. We live in a very individualized, individualistic society where we say, you own yourself. And we would say to a, to a degree, I am responsible for myself. So in a sense, you are responsible for I'm not responsible for you. You're not responsible for me. I'm responsible for myself. However, if you will wear the name tag Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, what you have said is, I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. I am no longer my own. I am now living as a guest. And that changes things. Your body is a temple. And if you struggle with this reality of individualism, of I belong to me, this is my body, my personhood is mine, then there's a deep theological battle going on within you. And we need to allow ourselves to preach truth to our own heart. Because our heart wants to run. Our heart wants to accept that which is easy, that which we want. But God says here, I'm sorry, but you're not your own. And that's good news. That is so good news. We need that good news. And the reason that you're not your own is Paul's second theological point where he says in verse 20, for you've been bought with a price. You've been bought. Paul's command to flee sexual sin is motivated not only because of the way sexual sin affects the body, but because the body it affects doesn't actually belong to the believer. I had a conversation with my kids today, uh, not today, but this week, and I, and I said, if I were to, to take them and say, hey, look out that window, and I'd say, kids, of all the houses on this street, which one's your home? They would say, well, Daddy, that house, that's our home, the one right next door, our parsonage. And I'd say, you're right, that is our home. And I'd say, why is that our home? And they say, well, Dad, that's where we eat. That's where we live. That's where we play. That's where we learn. That's where we grow. That's where we do life as a family. I would say, you're absolutely correct. But then if I were to ask them, okay, kids, but whose name's on the deed of that house? First, their response absolutely was, Dad, what's a deed? <laughs> you know, so I'd, I'd explain to them what a deed was. And then Sadie's so smart, my seven-year-old, she goes, oh, yeah, Dad, I know this church doesn't belong to us. This house doesn't belong to us. She's like, it belongs to the church. She's like, this is the church's house. We just live in it. And I said, Sadie, that is a profound truth. And I showed her, I said, that is actually so theological you don't even understand. This house that we live in, that we reside in, doesn't belong to mommy, doesn't belong to daddy, doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the church. It belongs to the purposes of the Lord. Our house is God's house. And that's the link for us here. Do you live within your house as though it does not belong to you? I can't just make changes to the house. I can't just do whatever I want in that house. I have to ask for permission. And that, so it is with our body. We don't just do whatever we want to our body. We humbly surrender and lay before the Lord and say, God, what do I do? How should I treat this body? And sexual sin is coming after us is not to be entertained with. We are guests of the temple of the Lord. And when we say yes to Jesus, it's kind of neat. We actually, instead of porneia, we surrender or sell off the deed of our body to the Lord. So do you live within yourself like that or do you function as if your name's 
on the deed. Because the significance here, it's not just an act. It's not just a retreat or a flee or a bliss. What we're doing when we practice sexual immorality is we're surrendering and selling off something that doesn't belong to us. We prostitute God's property. We desecrate his temple. That's a big deal. Because God dwells within you. We could sit on that for a long time and let that sink in to the depths. God dwells within you. The God of the universe resides within you. And here we go, just flippantly living our lives, entertaining all this evil. And there's a war that goes on within us because what we're doing at the depth is we're interrupting a unique thing of intimacy with God. That's why every believer is to flee from sin. Not just because of the consequences of this sin, but because of the significance of this sin. So, because this is true, what should we do? We want to encourage you, guard your purity. Maybe that's not something that's really on the front of your mind or your heart. But it is something that we should watch over with all diligence. Guard your purity. Students, guard your purity, please. We love you. And we know that death is on the other side of of allowing you to cross that line. Life comes when you stay within God's guidelines, God's, God's guard. So install preventative guardrails around your sexuality. And these guardrails are practical ways to avoid situations that open the door for us to step into immorality. So I'm not going to assume and say, hey, here's what we're all going to do. But here's what I want to do. I want to open it up to you. And in your bulletin, you'll see it says, my sexual guardrails are, and it's purposely left left blank. And what I want to do is I want to offer three areas that I would ask you to consider for yourself. You know yourself better than anyone else. And I want to ask you, number one, what guardrails, what guide rails, Jeff, he said, I'm supposed to call them guide rails now because they guide you. And Anyway, what guide rails, what guard rails do you have around your ears? I want to talk about your body. What music are you listening to? What language do you allow yourself to hear? What jokes do you entertain? What topics of conversation do you allow to happen around you? Do you have guardrails around your ears? Are you quick to listen? Quick to say, whoa, 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 if you're going to go there, I'm so sorry. This is awkward, but I just, I can't hear that. Because church, I've been a musician, I've been a worship leader, and we know music, what you listen to, it absolutely informs what you believe whether you know it or not. What you listen to, what you pour into your ears overflows and it starts informing your heart. If all you're hearing is sexual explicit, it's going to come out and it's going to inform. Do you have guardrails around your ears? The second thing, well, let me go back. Maybe you need to throw some music away. Maybe the Lord, I had a conversation this week where a dear friend was like, you know, I just felt the Lord pressing in and he said, you need to delete those songs. So he went in and Delete, 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 delete. And he said, I don't know, I can't explain it to you, but there was freedom, there was life, it was was different. Do you need to delete some music off of your sound library? Do you need to, Dad, throw some CDs out the window? (laughs) I think my dad did that one time. I had a CD, and I don't know where it is now. But do you need to throw some CDs out the window? The second thing, around your eyes. 
around your eyes. We've already talked about the inundation of sexuality in our television and in our movies. But what shows are you watching? What movies are you watching? Where do you allow yourself to go on the internet? And I want to give you, this is so helpful. We had a college group when I was on YouthQuest at Liberty, and this is so helpful. If we could do this for one another, thank you, Lord. So we went to Panama City Beach during spring break, the last year that they had it. So it was a 21-group, 21-member group, group, and half of us were guys, half of us were girls. And the girls made a plan for the guys that any time they heard a, yeah, because you know what that was. There was beads thrown and a, woo. The girls did this incredible thing where they... Look to the other side of the road, okay? So it, we still do this to, the day, to this day. If we were walking down the street and something over there was happening and the girls saw it, they would all together go, have you guys seen that wall? You know, like, we'd just be like, what are you talking, like, what are you talking about that wall? Oh, look at that stained glass window, you know? They would turn our attention away. So I, it, it was more than a bounce your eyes, guys, right? I don't know if you've heard this, where you're like, you see it and then you're like, boom, bounce. Okay, can't see that. But it's kind of still in your peripheral, you know? So it's more than a bounce. It's a look away. Maybe you need some brothers and sisters in your life who when they see it, they're able to redirect your focus. So not only do you say, I'm just going to turn away. You have no ability to even see it in your peripheral. Establish that in your life, that within your heart, that that's the boundary you put around your own heart and lust. That when you're thinking about lingering on that thought, when you're thinking about entertaining that old girlfriend, old boyfriend, you bounce your eyes and you go, have you seen my wife? You know, or like, have you seen this book I'm reading? Or something else. Turn your attention. Turn your eyes. And the last thing is, deeper than all of this, what guardrails do you need to put up around your thoughts? Around your thoughts. Maybe... You need to set up guardrails or guide rails that say you're not going to allow yourself to think about a certain thing. You're not going to allow your mind to linger on a topic or a subject or a memory. That you're not going to let yourself entertain a thought. That is work well spent. When you're willing to sit with yourself long enough to say, I'm going to even preach to my thoughts. Because that's the depth of the heart. That's watching over your heart with all diligence. To say, when I think about that, I need to have an immediate reaction that says, I'm not going to think about that. And ask the Lord, who is so good, to, to free you, to redirect you. Run to him. And once your guardrails are identified, my encouragement to you is at the sight of them, flee. Don't go, white knuckle, I can do this. I can sit in the fire. I can sit in the kitchen. I'm not going to get burnt. Flee. Flee. I can speak from personal experience. Flee. You'll be so glad you did. The world we live in is hostile. It's a battleground for sexual purity. And extreme environments require extreme measures. We're going to look crazy. You are. You're going to be deemed an extremist when you set a boundary. When you're having a conversation with someone that you've maybe had that conversation a million times before, and then you all of a sudden decide to say, actually, can we not talk about that? I'm trying to, you know, my pastor, he's weird. He told me to do this thing where I'm not allowed to, I don't want to have that conversation. Blame me. I'll take it. That's great. Just 
it's extreme to the world. It shocks them because they're like, this is normal. This is every, we, this is what we say. You know, these are the, the quips that we respond and say, you know, all these things and you know what they are, but it, it, it's worth it because this is an extreme measure. Whatever guardrail you put in place, it will be attacked. So we need to pray, ceaselessly pray. We need to constantly be on guard, be vigilant. Watch over your heart with all diligence because you'll be so glad you did. So I want to finish with this illustration. Um, I think we have some car people in the room. But uh, there was a rich man, and he was trying to hire a driver for his Rolls Royce. Now, that would be nice, okay, to have that. Actually, I don't even know if that would be. That's too expensive. I'd be like, I don't want to scratch it. So he was looking for a driver, and he had four applicants, and he posed this challenge to all four applicants. He said, how close can you get my car to that brick wall? So the first applicant gets up. He's like, I can do 12 inches. I'll get 12 inches. And then the second applicant, hearing that, gets up and he goes, yeah, I can do six inches. You know, and then the third guy gets up. He goes, I can beat that. I'll do three inches, which is like, that's so small. The fourth guy gets up and he goes, if I'm driving your car, I'm not even getting close to that wall. And that guy got hired. And that's exactly how we need to see ourselves. You're a Rolls Royce. Do you believe that? Or do you think you're just some shack, you know, just dilapidated, and you're just like, this is a temple? What are you talking about? This is nasty. I feel that. You're a Rolls Royce. You are fearfully, wonderfully made. And when you said yes to Jesus, he made you brand new. You're not, you're not you. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He's taken that nasty outside robe off and he's placed on something brand new. Don't pick it back up. Don't view yourself like a beater that I don't care if I hit a tree. It's just add it to the dents. No, you're a Rolls Royce. And when it comes to sexual immorality, you need to say, I'm gonna stay as far away from that brick wall as I can. We can have fires in the woods, but we, we need to not play with fire. We need to flee at the sight, at the spot of any one of these guardrails that you wrote down, that the Lord welled up within you. Say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to delete that. I'm going to not go in that room. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to close my computer and leave my phone, you know, in the living room or whatever these practical things that the Lord inspired to you. At the sight of the desire, you need to flee. You're not strong enough. I'm not strong enough. So flee. It's not a competition. It's not a game. It's not funny. It's not something to gain experience. It's something to flee from. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you've been bought with a price? And the conclusion is, therefore, glorify God in your body. So as we close, Ethan, if you want to, where's Ethan? There he is, sorry. If you want to come on up. We want to respond. And here's the beautiful thing. I can tell you, it was madness whenever we heard, get the kids. And we were just like, just like everything's flying everywhere and we're freaking out and running into each other because we were in the middle of darkness. But here's the beautiful thing. We don't just run away from in any direction. We don't just see the sight and we're just running and hoping it doesn't catch us. We run away from and we run to someone. You run to refuge. You run to safety. You run to the one who has authority to say, get down, be gone, be still. 
You run to the one who under his mothering arms can shelter you and shield you and rescue you. So we want to sing that. That's what our response is to be. If you've been in this room, hear me, and you've fallen, you've crossed that line, you can turn right around and you can run. Because we know, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, so that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Waiting for us is forgiveness. Waiting for us is restoration. Waiting for us is refuge and something that we don't even believe we deserve because we don't. But you are not beyond forgiveness. And what you can do is build in the habit of fleeing at the sight of. And that's what the guardrails, that's what wisdom, that's what scripture is there for us, is to run. Stop going into the face of the mother bear and thinking that you're going to win this round. Mike Tyson's still going to bite your ear off. You got to run. So we want to do that in this song. I want to give you an opportunity to run to the Father. Fall into grace. You don't need to hide. No, no, there's no reason. You just run to Him. So I'm going to get out of the way. We're going to sing, and I want to give you a chance to just run to the Lord in your heart right now. Run to your refuge right now where you are. Pursue Him. I'll come, and I'll close us after we're done singing. But run to the Father.